0: Hey guys it's Matilda Pearl. We've lost too many lives on our roads this year through risks that weren't worth taking so I've teamed up with the TAC and other artists to use live music as a way of highlighting that life without your mates is as quiet as music without a band. So take extra care out there and let's keep the band together.
1: It's a typical night in Melbourne, in the heart of the city. They call it the CBD, but we reckon it's as much a music district as it is a business district.
2: I think we're ready for this, we're ready for this. Oh,
1: yeah. From ACDC to Zoot and everyone in between, some incredible music names have graced the stages of Melbourne CBD venues. And if those walls could talk, they'd tell a
3: million stories. Noel Gallagher offered to buy Cherry. Well, I made that headline because if you look it up, it says Noel Gallagher famously offered to buy Cherry. True story was he wanted to lock in after the big day out with the Kasabian boys.
4: She had dances, she had the most incredible light show, she had a giant blow-up penis. So,
5: one o'clock, she comes on and she was in a clown outfit and she was on a small bike and she she was telling jokes and they were not very funny
0: yeah it was a real moment and it felt like it like kicked it up a whole notch like everyone just like went for it and I couldn't have thought of a perfect way to cap off what was like it was 50% music gig 50% art piece you'll hear a few of those incredible
1: tales I'm Alex Leahy and this is episode two of always live a journey into the heart of one of the greatest live music scenes in the world.
6: One, two, three, four!
1: One of the dominant fixtures of the Melbourne city landscape is the Arts Centre on St Kilda Road. With its spire rising 162 metres into the sky, it's an iconic landmark. By the way, the spire weighs nearly 100 tonnes and there are 14,000 lights on its golden skirt, which is meant to resemble a ballerina's tutu. The Arts Centre is considered the cultural hub of Melbourne. The Arts Centre, what a great place to play. How lucky are we to have a place like that where we can go and, and do anything. We can, you know, do a rock show, you can play in a small room that seats 500 people right up to the big concert hall and then um, Hamer Hall, you know, done lots of great shows there. That's Vicar Bull. Grinspoon's Phil Jamieson is also a big fan of the venue.
2: Hamer Hall felt like you were walking on hallowed turf at that art centre. It's really, really special moments to be able to perform on such a great stage. And those theatre places are just, it's it's nice, isn't it? It feels very refined.
1: The art centre in Hamer Hall are just two of the amazing venues where you can experience live music right in the heart of Melbourne. Across the Yarra, just a stone's throw from the art centre is Swanson Street, a street made famous by an iconic music video. Picture this, it's 1976, the middle of a typically busy Monday and lunchtime shoppers and business workers look up to see a bunch of blokes on a flatbed truck backed by some bagpipes belting out a song. It's probably the most famous Australian music video of all time, made for the grand sum of 380 bucks. Yeah, it might be a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. But in the Melbourne CBD, if you want to watch rock and roll, it's not far at all. In fact, within walking distance, you'll find a venue for just about every kind of music fan. Head down Swanson Street, away from the Yarra, and you'll find Max Watts House of Music on your left, formerly known as the Hi-Fi Bar and Ballroom. Walk down the stairs and you'll find a band room that holds 850 people.
2: Max Watts Hi-Fi bar was one of Grinspoon's old stomping grounds. I saw Jet there on the way up, um, play a pretty scintillating show. I think it was just before they kicked out the bass player. It might've been, might've been Mark Wilson's first show. They'd just gotten rid of somebody out of the band because he didn't look groovy. It's unlike Jet, isn't it? Uh but um yeah that that they were really good and we Grinners Grin had some unreal shows there it was kind of that it was the right size you know you didn't need to sell 1500 tickets you could kind of get 600 maybe i don't forget the i forget the cap but it, it felt cozy and it was rocking in there um yeah a lot of fun times
1: a little further down swanson street in curtain house you can walk up the stairs to discover the Toffin town This building was once the headquarters of the Communist Party, but it's now one of the classiest venues in town, catering to about 300 people. It's not a big place, but some big stars have played there.
5: So Billie Eilish had been to Australia pretty early in her career. I think she was like 14 or 15 and actually played the TOF in town. Yeah, like really early in her career, like first EP kind of time.
1: Now that would have been some show. A couple of blocks from the TOF, you'll find a place that, quite helpfully, has its address in its name. 170 Russell. After being a cabaret venue in the 60s and 70s, it became a club in the 80s called Billboard, where many Aussie acts made live albums, including Mondo Rock, Australian Crawl and Roxas. Music journo and broadcaster Paul Cashmere remembers it as a special venue where all kinds of artists would play.
7: So when I was working at Eon FM and doing Midnight to Dawns, that gave me an opportunity to go out to a gig before I would go on air at the radio station. So I got to see a lot of acts back in those days, such as the origins of moving Pictures when they started. Malcolm McLaren, the Sex Pistols manager who had a couple of his own hits in the early 80s as well, performed at that venue. Uh, so that was always a very special venue to me. It evolved to become 170 Russell. And as 170 Russell, it was the very first venue in Melbourne where Taylor Swift performed when she came down here for uh, the very first time. Imagine this as Melbourne, the city, you can go to a venue such as 170 Russell that, you know, maybe holds just over a thousand people and see Taylor Swift and just three years later she's playing at Marvel Stadium. That's how big that was and how special it was for people in those early days.
1: 170 Russell is where another well-known music journalist, Sosefina Fuamoli, saw her very first gig in Melbourne. And one particular moment remains etched in her mind. So I've
0: just got this image of Dave from Glass Animals in the middle of the crowd. It was like he was walking on people doing that Kanye West cover and like he's just being hoisted up into the air and, like, just standing on people. Like, people had his feet in their hands and he was just standing there. I've got a gorgeous photo of it somewhere. But I remember coming here and being like, wow, this is insane. Like, this venue is incredible. This, this has just been, you know, that was an unforgettable show.
1: Alice Ivy has headlined her own unforgettable shows at 170 Russell, but she also has fond memories of another big gig at the venue.
4: One of my favourite shows I saw at 170 Russell was Peaches on <laughs> on one of her um, sideshows from Meredith and uh, it was incredible. She had dances, she had the most incredible light show, she had a giant blow-up penis. Um, what else could you ask for a Peaches show?
1: It's a venue with special significance for Angeline Armstrong, lead singer of Melbourne pop trio Telenova.
4: Yeah, 170 Russell...
1: I actually I was taken on a date to see confidence man, wow. and I
4: didn't really know anything about them or <laughs> what the act was. And that was, I mean, they're a hoot. I just remember like she had this um, this amazing like bra
1: on that was like two cones just emerging from her body, and they were like metallic and neon and sparkling. And yeah, I mean, that was just that was just a great
4: time and like a uh, yeah set the tone for a pretty fun date. I'd say.
1: Let's just say that date went very well. So well. In fact, they're now married. If you head back along Russell Street towards Yarra, a left turn on Little Collins will lead you straight to one of inner-city Melbourne's most infamous venues, Cherry Bar. It's often been called Melbourne's version of CBGB's, the legendary New York institution, which was home to the Ramones, Patti Smith, Blondie and Talking Heads. And it's at Cherry that we meet owner, raconteur and former advertising guru,
3: James Young. I got lucky in my late 30s and sold my advertising company and for the first time in my life came into some money and kind of as a vanity purchase, decided to buy Cherry Bar, my favourite bar in the world, just to make sure I could always get in. Actually, the pivotal moment was when um, the building burnt down. There was a fire in 2006 and uh, as a result of the fire on the top floor, we'd fixed the roof and we were ready to open two weeks later and then we were told, I oh, know, you can't open until the roof's fixed. And I said, i oh, fixed fix the roof. And they went, no, the roof of the actual building. And that took six months. So we were closed for um, six months and started to pay more attention to my bar and the requirements that were involved. And then when it reopened, did something that Cherry hadn't been doing in it six years or so, and that was having live music. So I started booking live music and then the more I started to book live music, the better the bar did, the more I realised I was enjoying it and that if I gave it my full attention, there could be a career in this. And that's how uh, I fell in love with Cherry and then Cherry dragged me in and I've been um, happily involved ever since.
1: Cherry Bar was actually started in 1999 by Bill Walsh who was the drummer in Cosmic Psychos. Back then, Cherry's home was in a nondescript laneway just off Flinders, Corporation Lane. But Paddy Donovan, who was then the chief music writer at The Age newspaper, came up with a brilliant idea while having a beer with his buddy Beach Watts, the brother of comedian Merrick,
8: at another city venue called Pony. I started the campaign for ACDC Lane in the city because I was a little bit uh, frustrated with the amount of money spent on sporting stars, ticker tape parades, statues. And I thought that we should be paying tribute to musicians, really successful musicians that are on par, you know, in the music world. So the concept for that was just in my column, Sticky Carpet, where I just sort of wrote about my weekends and and the upcoming weekend, uh, every Friday in AG. And I um, started campaigns suggesting that we honour ACDC, our greatest uh, music export, and suggested a couple of ideas, renaming streets, statues, uh, the like, and um, very quickly found out that renaming a street was the cheapest option. You didn't actually need any funding, you just needed the will. And some musicians, uh, councillors actually supporting the idea, so um, that took about six months to eventuate and we fought really hard for ACDC Lane to be in the old corporation lane where Cherry Bar was because Bill Walsh ran Cherry Bar at the time and it was late 90s and it was one of the few venues that was still playing ACDC and on vinyl. So um, I'm really glad we stuck to our guns and we got ACDC Lane right there where there was a bar and it became a really big tourist attraction. But people needed to come and take the photo of the laneway and then go and play here some ACDC. So I was really proud about that.
1: When Corporation Lane was officially renamed ACDC Lane in 2004, Melbourne's Lord Mayor at the time, John So, came up with this magnificent quote. As the song says, there's a highway to hell, but this is a laneway to heaven. Let us rock. And that's exactly what we did at Cherry. Now, it wasn't particularly glamorous. In fact, James Young says the smell in the Cherry toilets, quote, was a more difficult problem to solve than the Da Vinci Code. But Cherry went on to become a pilgrimage for ACDC fans from all over the world. As the old saying goes, the fact that there's a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven says a lot about anticipated traffic numbers. Then in 2019, Cherry took a slight detour.
3: Well, that move was kind of accidental. I had a very good relationship with the landlord. We used to have lunch every month. And he said, look, James, um, at the end of your lease, you've got about eight years left, I'm definitely going to sell the building. I'm going to cash in. Uh, I can make a lot of money from the building sale and I'll be giving the money to my kids and setting them up for life. That's what's going to happen. And I said, I'd do the same thing if you knew what the money was involved. So my plan was just to stand at the end of the bar and drive that sucker into the ground over eight years. And then um, a real estate agent rang me up and said, oh, someone's interested in taking over the lease. And I said, look, I know how the formulas of value work for leases, so um, I'm really not interested unless you've found a fucking idiot. And um, anyway, he rang me back the next day and said, I found a fucking idiot. And I said, okay, well, uh, if uh, if I can get those millions, then um, that will give me an opportunity to move the bar, which we did. I really was keen to stay in the city. We wanted to find a venue with the same size, same generous licensing provisions, bit of rock and roll history, and the perfect site was the old Pony which is only 400 metres from ACDC Lane, which means that Kathy Freeman can get there in 43 seconds if she gets the lights. So it's pretty damn close, and it's actually got a 24-hour licence, the new location at 68 Little Collins Street, and it had that rich history from Pony. It's got a 260 capacity, which is actually 60 more than Cherry. So this was the reason we moved.
1: Cherry bar not in ACDC Lane? It was almost unthinkable, but thankfully... For fans of live rock and roll in the heart of the city, it all worked out okay.
3: A few people um, nostalgically are disappointed that, you know, we left ACDC Lane behind, which is true. But something I haven't really discussed before is, personally, even though our international reputation was beyond compare, I thought we were becoming a little bit less relevant based on treading water, doing the same thing in a regular fashion. So being forced to shake things up by changing venue. The principal change there being that it's over two storeys. you've got the lounge downstairs and the band room upstairs, which is a challenge. It's a pro and a con. So working out how you do that and how you keep both areas alive, as opposed to the simpler model at Cherry, where it was all on the one floor, has been different, has been a challenge. And I mean, also, I'm not saying I'm Frank Lloyd right here, but I did drag the the same couches, the same leopard skin print, the same booth shape and the same pieces of wood. And as you well know, the same posters on the wall. And believe me, 99% of people don't know we murdered. <laughs> feels the same.
1: The location might have changed, but the song remains the same. From small local acts to the big internationals, Cherry's played host to them all. The Melvins, Gary Clark Jr., the Black Keys, and members of the Rolling Stones touring band, as of the likes of King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, and, of course, Amel and the Sniffers, when they were just starting out.
3: Yeah, well, I, I um, invited them to play at Cherry. Um, actually, they supported, which was a nice touch. Sherry Curry from the Runaways was doing a solo tour, but playing Runaway stuff, and she did a, a little cheeky show at Cherry Bar after a corner show, and uh, and on the sniffers played that. At the time. Um, Amy was DJing with a friend as the Chico Moles, so I was giving her a bit of work um, <laughs> as a DJ. And, uh, you know, I was keen to get them onto uh, our festivals, Cherry Rock and uh, Cherry Fest. And it was a, a slow burn for them at first because people who don't really understand punk or don't really understand how important a unique voice is, it was easy for them to not see the potential in that band because the whole world wants to hear an Australian voice. We've got fantastic bands in Australia that can mimic a global sound, but they're never gonna make it because what the world wants is to hear the sound of your country. And Emily Sniff has definitely had that. And Amy was just such a unique personality. I mean when it comes to being a front person, you either got it or you don't. There's no school that you go to or there's no course that you follow or we'd all be studying that course. Yeah, Charisma is it's God given. And, and she has it. I, I think she's the most charismatic front person in the world today. Such incredible um, energy.
1: Now, there are many notorious cherry stories. There was the night porn star Ron Jeremy fell asleep on the cherry couch. And that time Lady Gaga wanted to hold a 4th of July party at the venue. Only problem was, James Young had booked a two-piece band from Mildura named Jackson Firebird. James honoured the booking. It was a no-go for Gaga. Showing she had no hard feelings, the star dropped into Cherry when she was next in town. In fact, she danced on the bar in lingerie and fishnet stockings. It was one of the great Cherry nights. And what about that story of Noel Gallagher offering to buy the bar?
3: All right, um, Noel Gallagher offered to buy Cherry. Well, I made that headline because if you look it up, it says Noel Gallagher famously offered to buy Cherry. True story was he wanted to lock in after the big day out with the Kasabian boys and our tough female um, Kiwi manager at the time, Anna Kilgau, said, no, get the fuck out of here. And he said, what do you mean get the fuck out? I'll buy this shithole. And she told me that and I said, oh, Noel Gallagher offers to buy, <laughs> to buy um, Cherry Bar.
1: Another night, James Young had just been to see Neil Young and Crazy Horse. He stumbled back to Cherry where one of the punters happened to mention, Axel Rose is here.
3: So I go out the back and there he is in the back Jenny Bar area. And at one point, the jukebox is playing Who'll Stop the Rain? And this little gopher goes and pulls a plug out of the wall. I said, what the fuck are are you doing? He says, oh, Axel doesn't do credence. And I said... That is one of the most fucked greatest things I've ever heard in my life. I mean, who doesn't? We all love credence, but ours, he doesn't do credence, so it gets yanked out of the wall. And I, and I, I was told by his bodyguard that um, Axel had not stayed at one venue for five and a half hours in twelve years, but he stayed there at, um, at Cherry that night. Little diet Sprite drinking motherfucker, looking after himself very nicely, and sung like a bird the following night when he was supported by uh, Rose Tattoo and ZZ Top.
1: Cherry's also inspired a few ripping rock songs. Warnerball's finest, Airborne, referred to the bar in their song, Fat City, with Joel singing, Midnight Bite at the Cherry, So Sweet as the Juice, and Jet's classic, Rollover DJ, was written about one of the band's many nights at the bar. Cherry's been home to the most revered DJs in Melbourne, Triple R's Max Crawdaddy, PBS's Vince Peach, and the late, great Pierre Baroni as well as Mary Michalakos and Leaping Larry And when there's a big star in town, well, sometimes they also spin a few records at Cherry. Rage Against the Machines' Tom Morello jumped behind the decks when he was in town with Bruce Springsteen. And then there was that night Linda Blair played
3: DJ. Oh, yeah, Linda Blair from The Exorcist. I noticed that um, Monsterfest were touring her as a part of the 40th anniversary of The Exorcist, so I contacted them. I've done this quite a bit where um, you contact touring stars knowing that they don't always get paid as much as you think and just give them an opportunity to have a guest DJ spot. It's very easy for them. Just come and DJ or stand next to my DJ for 30 to 45 minutes and, you know, we'll give you a cash payment and, uh, you know, you can sell your signed photos if you want to. So um, Linda Blair agreed and I was a bit worried that she wasn't going to come because she'd been um, not happy with a certain treatment she'd been given throughout that tour. So I went and gave her the full Jamie Young chaperone treatment. And anyway um- – when she started DJing, I thought it was pretty good. The first song she chose to play was In Excess, The Devil Inside by Linda Blair. And she um, signed, um, you know, the beautiful autograph to Cherry Bar. This club makes my head spin. And, and yeah, it was it was fantastic to uh, have her there. She was lovely, but, um, you know, interesting story. Not, not surprised she's a little bit um, disturbed by her, her own uh, past and childhood and uh, lives on a farm north of LA, which she invited me to come and stay at, with her and her 120 adopted dogs. <laughs> nice one, Linda, yes.
1: Famously, Cherry has a no-suits policy. This ain't the place to find a corporate banker having a quiet cocktail after work. But if you love your rock and roll, then Cherry is the place to be. One, two, three, four!
0: If you're planning a big night out, leave the car at home. If you can, use public transport, catch a taxi, ride share or organise a designated driver. Let's all get home safely and keep the band together.
1: Just down the road from Cherry is a pretty special venue that's definitely a jewel in Melbourne's live music crown. It'd be hard to find an artist anywhere who's played a gig at the Forum Theatre and not been blown away by its beauty. The lights twinkle like stars. And when you look up, it feels like you could be outside gazing up at the night sky. I think that's such a huge part of it.
9: Melbourne has so many unique venues and different types of venues, but there's, there's definitely nothing quite like walking into the Forum and seeing the proscenium, seeing the, the lighting and the sky and the roof and everything that's gone into that. Unique experience for sure. Sally Mather is the Programming and Commercial Director at the Forum. I think that we've always put a lot of work into trying to make people feel very welcome when they're coming into the Forum and having a good experience. I think that being an iconic venue and being a beautiful space is one part of it, but also just knowing the level of production that they have available to them. Being the Old State Theatre, the stage is a very unique space to be playing, Um, so I think that plays a big part of it and the level of production that's on offer for the size of venue that it is as well is definitely a big part of it.
1: The Forum is a favourite venue for so many artists, including Aussie Electro Act, Boo Seeker. The
5: Forum that is also obviously just one of the most beautiful venues I've ever played in the world. Like the roof is just insane. It feels like you're outdoors. It's crazy. It's just so iconic. You know, it's it's such an iconic venue and... You talk to even musicians, artists and bands around the world and you talk about Australian venues and it's always the Forum.
1: Standing proudly on the corner of Flinders and Russell Street, the Forum was built in 1929 and with all the Greek and Roman statues, it's like taking a trip back in time. The Forum was a cinema and a Pentecostal church before it became a music venue. Bands from interstate and overseas fall in love with the venue as soon as they walk in. Here's Richard Bergman, guitarist with the Sunny Boys.
5: Yeah, it's a magic building. It's a beautiful place. To, it's, I, well, first time I walked in here, was like, really? The, places like that don't exist in Sydney. Uh, that's one, one of the good things about Melbourne is they've managed to hold on to a couple of places. Yeah? Uh, yeah, it's just sad they, have to, they think they have to tear them down and build other things. Oh, no, no, we'll, we'll make it good. We'll put a bar at
1: something in the basement for you. And Oh, no,
5: no. You ruin things by tearing them down and pretending you're going to do something good.
1: Jeremy Furs manages the Teskey Brothers and also owns the Bridge Hotel in Castlemaine. Whenever he's in Melbourne, he loves going to the Forum.
10: Uh, Forum gigs were like all time. You know, I always had my, because I'm a short ass, there was that sort of step up at the back of the floor. And so, you know, I just had to be there. I had to get that spot. You know, and then I could just look across the heads of all these tall bastards and that was just pure bliss for me to be able to stand under the the fake stars of that room. It's such a beautiful room.
1: The Forum was where the Teskey brothers recorded their 2020 live album. It became their first chart topper.
10: It was such a dream experience to be able to just bump in and leave the stuff there and have it all just set up. Over four nights, and just really relish the experience of, you know, a nice venue and the different crowds coming in each night. We actually recorded those shows to eight inch tape, which was quite a feat and required, you know, the band to bring in and their friend Alex Bennett to bring in a tape machine and find room for that side of stage in this, like, sort of storage area of side of stage and set up like an insane number of microphones and an insane number of gear just to be able to record those shows to tape the way they like to do and release that as a live album. So that was just such a fun experience and, you know, you go down into the dark tunnels underneath the venue. It used to be quite scary down there and, and they renovated it a few years ago so it's actually quite nice now. But right down underneath the stage is where all the green room is and, and you kind of you really feel part of that history. Everyone's signed to the wall down there and you can see all the amazing artists that have played and it's like, shit, would have been cool to see Stormzy here,
1: but nice to be here doing it ourselves. The Live at the Forum album was a winner for Jeremy and the Teskeys. But sometimes a night on the town doesn't quite go according to plan.
10: So I went to the forum once with a girlfriend and I took her out. It was like, must have been a special occasion of some sort, or I was trying to make it a special occasion of some sort. And uh, we wined and dined, probably had a bit too much of the wine. And then we went and saw the Dirty Three at the forum. She was a big Dirty Three fan. I think I surprised her with that. So we get in there and we get a booth spot, which is prime real estate at the Forum, as anyone knows, and everything's amazing and the Dirty Three are up there just like, you know, channeling God. And then um, it was just so intense and I just had so much wine that I just nodded off. And so I'm asleep for I guess the last half hour of this show And she sort of didn't mind this at first, but then actually she nodded off as well. And so the two of us, because we just had a bit of wine, we're just sleeping, like Warren Ellis has just put us to sleep basically. And we're just there propped against each other in our seat at the booth at the forum. And when we woke up, it was the security guard actually kicking us out because everyone else had already left. Like the whole place was empty (laughs) and it was just like, oh, shit.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure if you could call that a successful date, though they did get to sleep together. (laughs) Many relationships have started at venues and some have ended, as Sally Mather explains.
9: We had a wedding proposal at Forum recently during a show that I think that the guy may have had a few too many beers before he came in here and um, only knew his fiance to be or not to be for about two months beforehand and uh, was more excited to give the singer a hug than actually wait for her to come on stage and either say yes or no, which was pretty awkward for everyone in the crowd, but um, (laughs) thankfully we moved through it fairly quickly. (laughs) I think uh, she might have also left without him, but that's, you know... (laughs) Not that surprising in a scenario.
1: (laughs) The forums hosted some incredible shows over the years. Harry Styles, Something for Kate, The Dirty Three, The Angels, Katy Perry, Ozzy Osbourne, Courtney Barnett, Tame Impala and Oasis. Playing with Oasis that night was Melbourne band Motor Ace, and the drummer, Damo Costin, had one of the greatest experiences of his life.
6: The forum. I remember as a little kid hearing Oasis from, you know, definitely maybe all the way through. And this was 2002. And I think they just kind of got off the boil, but they were still a massive act and still really, really well respected. And I couldn't believe that we were on that tour, like, you know, hanging out with someone that you've seen on television. 1996, they played Nebworth, which is possibly the biggest gig that ever happened in the UK. And you just hear these stories about Oasis are coming to Australia. Oh, oh, and by the way, your band's going to support them. Oh, yeah? Fuck, that's mental. (laughs) That's fantastic. I can't wait to do that. Let's do that. And then next thing you know, you're in the Forum, which is probably Australia's coolest. It's the pinnacle of cool venues in Australia, there's no doubt you know, the architecture, the sound of it, the sky roof, you know, the boards and just the way that it's kind of elevated at the back. Um, But to see Oasis go play there is one of those uh, life-changing moments, really, to play with them. So, And I just remember hanging out downstairs after the gig and it was like the classic, you know, UK lads, you know, just hanging out, just drinking beers. And I remember sitting next to Noel just going, hey, you know, just thanks so much for having us on your tour. And he's like, yeah, that's great. We're going to the bar. Or we and we all ended up at Cherry Bar, hanging out, you know, getting our photos taken and talking about music. And, he's, and I remember him saying how lucky we were to play music and have this life. And it was one of those things. I was like, yeah, yeah, I didn't stop to think about that because I was fucking just in the moment. But it was like, yeah, it was like, yeah, you're just like us, you know. you just lucky to be here. I'm just like, yeah, it's great.
1: Holy Holy have done a few shows at the Forum, before, during and after the pandemic. Here's guitarist Oscar Dawson to take us there.
8: So we did a couple last year in the mid-pandemic that were like two shows per night, seated show kind of vibes at the Forum, which was awesome actually, which was great. Melbourne at the Forum was like a regular, you know, sold out, people standing up in the room, dancing, dancing show you know no no spacing out no mask anything and I'm thinking this is better this is what it should be like this is because it's it's like a um we all need to have a time when you lose control in life I think where you lose control and that doesn't have to mean drinking or drugs or anything like that it can mean whatever it means to a person but losing control and getting lost in a immersed in an experience and I think that live music is really that you know For any band,
1: it's a big deal in the Melbourne live music scene when you sell out your first show at the Corner Hotel in Richmond and then you move on to the Forum, as Matty O'Gorman from British India explains.
5: We did a headline show at the Corner and then another one sold out and then we were just like, you know what, let's try and do the Forum. And, you know, here we are, these four stringy dudes loading these crappy guitars into, like, this huge venue and we're just like, this is magic. You know, they're the moments that, you know, I, I definitely remember the most where we're kind of ticking off those little things that we'd always wanted to do as kids and, you know, really appreciating them at the time too and and looking back on them with the best memories as well.
4: Alice Ivy agrees. So I've played The Forum like a few times now and it's still, you know, like growing up, going to The Forum, I've seen some of my favourite bands play there like The XX and Tame Parlor as well and so being booked or like, Playing the Forum is honestly like an absolute dream for, I feel like, many Melbourne artists, you know, going in there, especially for Soundcheck, you go in and it's like, you you know, like you're just like walking around with your mouth open, just like, oh, my God, this is so crazy.
1: Horsham's Alice Skye also fell in love with the Forum the first time she played there.
4: Oh, I was really lucky to go on tour with Courtney Barnett in March and... Um, we played at the forum here and if I could pick and if I could fill that room, I just love that venue and it's like I just have so many questions about why it looks the way that it does and the blue ceiling. I went and saw a movie there too for as part of Myth. and I didn't realize it had multiple stages and rooms inside it. So, yeah, I love, love the forum. I hope, you know, one day I can play a headline show there. Some gigs at the forum
1: just stick in your mind. There was the night Ryan Adams had an unfortunate encounter with a heckler. Maybe the punter was at the wrong show or maybe he was just being a smartass. But Ryan didn't appreciate it when the guy requested summer of 69. Ryan called the heckler an asshole and strangely a racist and demanded he be removed. And then there was that magical night when Sampa the Great played, a night Sosefina Fuamoli will never forget. Though at first, she admits she wasn't too
0: sure how the gig was going to go. That was one of my worries, seeing these sorts of things. Uh, You know, we're, we're talking about, in this case, African art and African artists being given a massive stage within the economy of a traditionally white, very upper class social space and historically when we've seen that happen, the art has always come second to the audience that it's attracting okay. so that show at the forum was really interesting to me because it wasn't just the people who could afford the $75, $80 a ticket thing, it was the community who was coming out, it was people who'd never seen her before coming out. It was like other musicians who maybe had come up seeing her perform in Melbourne, but were there for that real techie aspect of it, just to see musicians performing this music in a certain way. It was really special. It was really, really special. We got to hear new music that night. And then finishing, they finished with Final Form. It was them with Green. They were just bathed in green and just the bass of that song was like rattling. I was standing near the sound desk as well, and you could just feel it kind of shaking. And it was, yeah, it was a real moment. And it felt like it like kicked it up a whole notch. Like everyone just like went for it. And I couldn't have thought of a perfect way to cap off what was like, it was 50% music gig, 50% art piece. You know, you really got taken on a journey. And then to finish with that felt like a bit of a full circle moment because that song was like that was the song so that was a really sick moment and then they came back out she thanked everybody they got a photo and then she was just like you know everyone like needs to dance to this song and then just like in the forum just rings out like Tupac's changes and just like that opening, like the Bruce Hornsby mm. piano, just like ringing out. I'm like, and knowing that Tupac has been such an inspiration for her and coming after a show that has been all about transitioning and changing and healing and just doing things in a better way to have that kind of cap it off as a bit of a dance party. Like they could finally like drop the drama of it all and just be like, we did that. We've We've done the Opera House. We've done the Forum Night One. You know, we're in our rhythm. That's, it was really special. Perhaps one of the
1: more unforgettable forum shows was the night Madonna played there in 2016. Yeah, that's right, the Madonna. In Melbourne to play a bunch of shows at Rod Laver Arena, the material girl announced she'd play a special one-off gig at the forum. Journalist Cameron Adams, who was the music writer for the Herald Sun at the time, picks up the story.
5: So the forum holds about 1,500 people. So that's tiny for Madonna, like this is Madonna. So people were obviously losing their mind. And no one knew quite what she was going to do on this show. But the title Tears of a Clown was no accident. And this was a period where Madonna was dabbling in stand-up comedy. And, yeah, you heard me correctly. And so she was posting all these photos Uh, in the days leading on social media of her in a clown costume with the nose on a little tiny bicycle riding around. And I think people thought, oh, yeah, she's just taking the piss. But uh, she wasn't taking the piss at all. So cut to that night. It was raining. It was March 2016. And the forum, as people know, you know, is a small venue. And so people were queued up right up the old uh, Hosea Lane, literally right up around the, the whole block.
1: Doors opened at 8 p.m. sharp and the crowd was understandably very excited. But there was just one problem. Where was Madonna?
5: Yeah, so there's just people waiting, waiting, waiting. And then it just got ridiculous. It's like, okay, it's 11 o'clock. She's not on. There was a DJ. There was stuff happening, but she wasn't on. And people were just down the front just going, waiting, 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 losing their mind. So 1 o'clock, she comes on and she was in a clown outfit and she was on a small bike. She was telling jokes, and they were not very funny. We're talking jokes of the caliber of like, you know, what do you call the useless piece of skin around a penis, a man, that kind of stuff. And I remember the keyboard part in the band had like a pre-recorded laugh track and like zingers, and it was... Like, if you had paid to see a comedian like that, it, uh, you would be like, this is really bad. But there was an awkward laughter because the fans were like, ah, it's Madonna being funny. When's this going to end okay? And it didn't, and she had sort of started this thing where she wanted fans to put money, like, you know, tip her with money, and it was all very But But also, it was incredible because people were like, oh, my God, Madonna's at the Forum. You are super close.
1: And those hardcore Madonna fans got some rare treats.
5: She did a couple of songs she's never done live. There's a song called I'm So Stupid from the album, which is great. Never done live. Imagine that if you're a Madonna fan and you're seeing her almost able to touch her doing these songs that you love that she's never done. So it was absolute fan delight. There were some hits. She did Borderline. She did Don't Tell Me. She did Holiday. But she was on stage till 3 a.m. So it was a long show, but as mentioned, mixed with comedy. But, yeah, that was really something. That was an absolute unexpected delight of seeing Madonna in the forum playing this tiny little show, and yeah, people complained that she was on late, but hey, it's Madonna; she can do what she wants.
1: Nobody fucks with the queen. Every city venue has their "you had to be there" moment: the Toff with Billie Eilish, Madonna at the Forum, Taylor Swift at One Seventy Russell, and. There was that night that Prince popped into the hi-fi. All was going so well till a fan got too close.
5: There was a Prince after party there. He didn't perform, but he was DJing. That's when someone touched his hair, apparently, and then he left.
1: James Power booked the bands at the hi-fi for nearly a decade. But before he started working there, he actually got to do a gig at the venue. James was the drummer in a band from Echuca called Daybreak Giants, and their first big show was supporting Tism, It was an interesting night, to say the least.
10: Look, you know, having some parents come down to watch us for the first time at the Hi-Fi Drive all the way down from Achuga when we opened for Tism and some of our parents walk in and the lead singer of Tism's walking around with a sign that says, defecate on my face. That was an interesting moment. (laughs) Lots of parents turned around and went home. (laughs) Man, you want to cut your teeth as a young band, try opening for Tism.
8: Yeah, that was tough, but it was great.
1: Like I said at the start, the Melbourne CBD has a venue for just about every kind of live music you can imagine. We've barely scratched the surface of what the city has to offer. Coming up in Episode 3, we're moving out of the CBD and into the surrounding suburbs. We'll tell the remarkable story of the Slam Rally.
10: Music's not the disease, it's the
6: cure.
1: (laughs) That's next time on Always Live... Always Live is written and researched by Mikey Carl, Luke Wallace, and Jeff Jenkins. Audio production by Ben Oakley. Produced by Dave Carter on behalf of Media Heads. If you dug this podcast, feel free to share it, write a review, and subscribe to the series on your favourite podcast app. Sharing is caring. And if you want info on some awesome live gigs coming soon to Victorian stages, follow Always Live on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or visit the website, alwayslive.com.au. I'm Alex Leahy. Catch you at the next gig.
0: Hey guys, it's Matilda Pearl. I couldn't do what I do without my band by my side. So don't do life without your mates by yours. Take
7: care on the roads this summer, look out for each other, and most importantly, let's keep the band together.